Hey there, Jim. How's it going? It's going good. How about you? Uh, things are good. Things are okay in Turkey? Yeah, as much as they can be. I mean, you feel, feel safe going around town, driving, doing going to work and doing normal things? Well, yeah, for the most part. Uh, I don't feel safe driving because I never feel safe driving in <laughs> Turkey, but that, that's a different situation. Okay. No, it, it, you know, back of the mind kind of stuff is starting to happen. Yeah. Um, but I still feel safe. Right. Uh, I just don't like that the state of emergency yeah. is continuing because I, I, I think it's a feeling overall that is negative. Yes. Well, we have, you know, all these problems in the United States now, all these demonstrations because of Donald Trump and so forth. So you're probably as safe in Turkey as you would be in Oakland or Berkeley, uh, California. Yeah. That that actually brings in our first topic. Okay. Uh, when I saw on the weekend about uh, the ban, the immigration ban for seven countries, uh, predominantly Muslim, the first thing I thought about is my wife is up for her visa to come for citizenship. Uh, I didn't even think about the world of athletics. But obviously uh, that would impact it. Do you think it does? I mean, the IOC comes out and does say, and USA Weightlifting comes out and says, ah, this thing, it doesn't matter. Uh, but what do you think about this? Well, it matters in that if uh, our athletes can, like, for example, uh, they've been invited to go to Iran for a competition. So maybe they won't be granted, uh, you know, visas to go to Iran and compete. And also, Iran's a good example uh, you know, we always have to go through extreme political uh, and, um, uh, you know, I don't know, political movements to get uh, uh, permission for Iran to come to the United States to compete, so as we did in 2015. It's just like they just can't apply for a visa and get on a plane and come. There's all kinds of uh, bureaucratic steps they have to go through to get a, get a visa. So now there's others, maybe these seven other countries also might have a problem. So... You know, the politics is, has interfered with sport, as we know, by various boycotts over the years. Uh, uh, the, you know, Africa boycotted in 1976, and, of course, we boycotted in 1980, and Russia boycotted in 1984. So sometimes politics does have a very negative effect on sport. So we, we certainly hope this doesn't, uh, isn't the case here, but uh, it's not looking good right now. Yeah, and I begin to wonder about then, you know, they talk about retaliating, which of course means visas, yes. like Iran could refuse Americans to enter. But let's not forget the late 70s. I mean, Iran and America had a very serious crisis. Right. Um, and it just seems to me that it's kind of fanning the flames. Yes, yes. You see, what happened in 1970. Seven was uh, Iran was supposed to host the 1978 World Championships, but uh, somehow this was before the Iran Revolution. Somehow people got word that they better not they couldn't hold them there, so they were held at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, with six months' notice. <coughs> so uh, <clears throat> you know th things can happen where countries can uh, the, the venue for competitions can be changed because of the political atmosphere, and so. 
uh, we who hosted the World Championships in 1978 because they were taken away from Iran for political reasons. And then, of course, in 79, Iran had the revolution. So it's, it was interesting how somebody knew beforehand that Iran wouldn't be a safe place to go in 1978. So Yeah, yeah, that makes you wonder. And and so, you know, yeah, we've had uh, other, other situations would have happened at World Championships is some athletes will come into a country and then not go home. They, they, they stay, whether it's Europe or America or whatever. Uh, so there's, there's that problem that they worry about is some athletes coming into the country and then just, uh, just staying. So, so it's, it's a complicated and, uh, you know, the politics rears its ugly head in, in sports, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can remember so many times hearing about Cuban athletes or, you know, from American standpoint, or sometimes, uh, you know, just where there's war-torn countries, the athlete leaves home. I think it was last Olympics, there was something about Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the long-distance runners. Uh, and I think that's an ethnic minority there. Right. Uh, but we always hope sport will take us above that. Well, I, I think it, it does, but it's not a smooth trip. I mean, it's uh, sometimes... Uh, it just takes time. I mean, the fact that, you know, we boycotted the Olympics in 80, then the Soviets boycotted in 84. Now at least the Olympic boycott has gone away because people, they realize that it's really not an effective political tool. It's more, it's better political tool to actually go to the games and have your athletes do well. Yeah, yeah, that's why, you know, London, yeah. the, you know, UK invested so much into that, yeah. which I think was so successful. Uh, but then on the other side of it, you, you see the allegations about Russian doping, which well, got them in trouble. Well, see, this, this, this doping issue is just an amazing situation that they haven't made any progress on that. In that, you know, way back in 1976, when they first started drug testing at the Olympics, it was the Eastern Europeans that were getting drug positive, And it's still the Eastern Europeans and now China that are the where all the drug positives are coming from. I mean, we have all this. Don't you know, say no to doping, and doping is bad. Don't do it, and they're laughing at us. You know, the only the only thing they think bad about doping is if you get caught. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was the next point of business. Yeah. Uh, China facing a ban. Yeah, well, I think I think China, uh, Russia, uh, Bulgaria, Azerbaijan, uh, Kazakhstan. I think they should all be banned for the next four years. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It, it, you know, that's. I, what I want to see when I hear bad news is a good sporting competition. Yes. And that's turned into uh, wait and see who gets popped right. kind right. of thing, who gets the positive. And, and now more and more when I see lifters, I go back and watch, I should have known that that's not, yeah. you, you know, that you're, you can't lift that way yeah. or the speed or the aggression or – um, so I want to see good competition. So let's get let's get these guys out of here. Well, in 1984, you know, when the Soviets didn't come, and although it wasn't, you know, there were still some some drug issues. Everybody was pretty clean, and the Soviets weren't there. And the competition was very close and exciting because we had all these unknowns or people who didn't wouldn't have had a chance for a medal otherwise. Now have a chance for medals, and the competition was awesome. So if we get rid of the drugs, you know, the, the weight lifted will be less. But uh, the competition will still be fantastic because people will be, you know, fighting for those uh, medals and, and taking uh, real, you know, real combat, you know, be real competitive uh, lifting to get the medals. Because it'll just be with less weight. And so, 
you know, I hear some people, they say, yeah, they're against doping, but geez, I'd hate to see all these great performances, uh, you know, not happen, you know, like the, uh, you know, I mean, the, the 77 kilo lifter in uh, Brazil who came up with that incredible clean and jerk. I mean, that, you know, there's no way that he's uh, not doing, he's doing that on Cheerios and Wheaties, you know, and uh, <laughs> so you know, that was very exciting. And of course, uh, now, you know, the, the Chinese lifter who thought he had the gold medal, I mean, he, you know, he's been all, he's just never been caught. But uh, we now know that the Chinese, uh, even though they've had some drug positive a few years ago, we thought, well, maybe they cleaned up their program, but obviously they haven't. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an ongoing operation, yeah. like you said. It seems to be taking a long time. Well, when, when you see a country um, like, like Greece was very... Uh, strong a few years ago, then they got popped, and the coach got fired. Now they're just right now they're just an average weightlifting team, just like everybody, you know, like the USA. Same with with Hungary. Hungary used to be right up there in the medals, but as soon as they got a couple of pops and cleaned up their program, now they're down there in the B group, like the United States. You know, you know, we have a, a saying in the United States: the A group is the anabolic group, the B group <laughs> is the borderline group, and the C group is the clean group. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time i heard that i like that yeah uh it's funny in a painful way right right um but definitely and that's the thing it, it the thing about using these substances is it takes away from the training the nuances of training the coach's job it just becomes about the athlete doping well see they want performance at all costs yeah. And so, yeah. you know, like the United States is guilty in that and, and our professional sports as well. So when you consider true, that weightlifting is a professional sport in so many of these countries, it's win at all costs. And I, you know, here's some of these guys like, uh, you know, these triple gold medal winners are, are, you know, vaunted as big heroes and champions. But, hey, they just didn't get caught. And, and uh, you know, so they get all, so they've got all this recognition for being, you know, big time Olympic champions. But. The thing is, they didn't get caught. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not that they didn't do drugs. They just didn't get caught. When I go to these international federation uh, competitions, uh, the world championships and Olympics primarily, they usually have seminars on anti-doping. And you look around the room and you don't see anybody there from Azerbaijan or Russia or or uh, some of these countries that you know are notorious for using drugs. In fact, Turkey is another example. When Turkey was doing real well a few years ago, um, and then all of a sudden they get popped, and now they're not—they're not, they're not producing the champions like they used to. Yeah, that was one who recently got caught for doping in London. Yeah, uh, the Turkish woman yeah. Sibel yeah. Shimshak. Yeah, yeah, it, it it keeps coming back here, and we're we're going to talk about this a little bit okay. later. Okay, because I, I've trained in a few different countries, uh, and and you've been around the world. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to talk about gym culture because I noticed gym culture in Turkey, I don't see a lot of it. I see a lot of um, non-weightlifting style, non-bodybuilding. Well, there's bodybuilding here, but mm -hmm. I, I just don't see the same culture that I saw, let's say, in the UK or even when I was in Tunisia. That there was a different grassroots mentality to the to the sport of Olympic weightlifting, but before we get into that, um, let's get back home. How have things been? How how are you know local weightlifting well, events? What's in, happening there? In, our, in our Northern California, we're doing really well. We've got more lifters, more clubs, more competitions, more more of everything just going on. People just love weightlifting, 
And even though they're not going to be an Olympic athletes or champions, they just like doing it. And so it's just, just we're still experiencing this incredible uh, growth in our sport, thanks to CrossFit and thanks to the Internet, thanks to the USA Weightlifting's coaching courses. And it's really caught on big time. And, it's, and I think it's pretty much in there are different pockets around the country, like in Texas and Florida and and uh, maybe the Chicago area. Or some of the, there's different different areas where it's just booming. And there's lots of clubs and lots of camaraderie, and they, there's a, uh, that's a, just really a good feeling. We we had a competition just last week up in uh, outside of Sacramento, and one section was just for football players, you know, so they, they didn't have to follow the rules as closely, but they were introducing them to the sport, and they were just having a ball, doing snatches and cleaning jerks, you know, and they never, that would never happen before. Then we had a session afterwards for where we had to follow, where, you know, it was a, a sanctioned USA weightlifting event where we followed all the USA uh, international rules. And, you know, but this is how you plant the seed. So uh, our sport just continues to grow, and uh, there's a good feeling, good camaraderie. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And we got, uh, I, and I, I just hope that we can maintain a, a, a fair level around the country of following the rules so that, because sometimes, when people are new to the sport, they don't know the rules. They don't enforce them as well as close. They don't teach them and coach them as closely. So you see some lifters go to their first competition and they're pressing out and they're dropping the bar down before the down signal and don't bring their feet in line. You know, there's just a lot of shabby lifting by first timers. So I hope to see that uh, get get better. It is getting better, but I still we see a lot of shabby lifting by first time lifters and young coaches. Yeah, and you don't want to see that because it's such a sport of technique right. and just discipline, really. I hate when I have someone in the gym and they let go of the weight and they don't even bother to move. Yeah. Or yeah. It's, it's just what is going through their minds. They're not respecting it and, yeah. and that they need to realize that. I, I think that's one of the areas that yeah, really got to hammer it out with uh, CrossFit trainers right. because they go about speed and doing that or bouncing the weight. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think – have you ever taught someone to bounce snatches? No, no. Yeah, I mean that kind of thing is – but anyway. Um, uh, well, that, and my next article for Milo Magazine is going to be weight room management. And, nice. And in fact, nice. every chance I get, I always – stress how beginners have to treat the equipment with respect and and lower it under control not just drop it and walk away or slam it down you know yeah yeah and also i mean when the weight isn't that heavy yeah, yeah. returning it to the floor yeah. is going to strengthen your joints right. and improve your overall strength you develop you develop your eccentric so. strength you know concentric is lifting it up and eccentric is lowering it down Thank you for that. Those were two words I just learned today as an English teacher. Oh. <laughs> Concentric and eccentric. Okay, then there's, and then there's isometric. I know isometric. Okay, isometric is when you're holding the weight. That's why when I have people do their snatches, we sit in the bottom for a few seconds to you know, establish that position. So you're doing an isometric movement when you're holding the bottom in the bottom position. The same when you finish your lift overhead, you hold the weight over your head for two to three seconds so that we develop your isometric strength. And by lowering the bar under control... You develop your eccentric strength, and of course, the concentric strength is uh, pulling the bar and lifting it over your head. But this, this, this weightlifting, Olympic-style weightlifting, is the only activity that develops all three of those strength uh, uh, requirements: concentric, eccentric, and isometric. All sports require that, sometime or other. 
awesome. Yeah. Uh, that brings up a question about uh, you said isometric. Isometric. Um, isometric. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, when you're in the bottom position, okay, I understand that. But as you go up in weight, do you continue to find uh, a weight where you're comfortable enough to hold it, hold it overhead, but it's getting heavy? Well, yeah. No. When you're going for maximum weights in the snatch and the clean and jerk, you don't want to sit in that bottom position too long, but you are going to sit there for a few seconds, and that's the isometric part. Now, if you're really good and you get the rebound or the bounce out of the bottom position, that's that's good. But when you hold the weight, when you finish the lift and you hold the weight, or you hold it for one second, that's the isometric part. And so in training, I have them hold the weights overhead for three to five seconds on their heavy weight so that they develop the, the isometric part and that they develop the ability to hold heavy weights overhead. Because how many times have we seen somebody snatch or jerk weight over, overhead, but then they can't hold it because they're not strong enough overhead? Sure, sure, and I, and I always thought of that as the overhead squat. Yes, but yes. but let's look at it this way. Let's say you got a guy who can snatch one twenty. What weight would you consider holding him and saying you stay down there well, for a few seconds? Probably one uh -huh. one ten. Yeah, up to you know up to so ninety you, up to ninety okay. percent. Okay, okay. Yeah. I I wasn't sure. I always thought okay. Lightweight's fine, yeah. but when you're getting up to 80%, you drive out as quick as you can, but maybe I'm losing some development there. Yes, yes. With lifters. And okay. It'll be part of the program. So they say sit. Because what that also develops is the ability to save a snatch. You know, you get down there, it's kind of out of the groove a little bit, but if you've got the ability to stay down there and control it and be comfortable in that, in that over, uh, overhead squat position, you'll save a lot of snatches. That's why one of my exercises is a snatch balance followed by two overhead squats. And then on the third rep, you sit in the bottom and you look to your right, you look to your left, you look down, you look up, and then you stand up so that you get real comfortable in that bottom position. And that's got to be what, 60%? Uh, what would you oh, say? No, maybe 90, 90%, yeah. Really, still yeah. looking left to right, up and down. Yeah. Okay, but see, you have, to, you, have okay. to, you have to develop that ability. You, don't, you know, it may take a few true a few training true. sessions okay. where you get get comfortable at that because some people are very uh, awkward and uncomfortable in the bottom position, so it'll take them a long time, and they may have to always do it just with very light weights. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, if you're developing that strength with the lifter over time, then of course they'll they'll be able to do that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, getting back to making the United States more competitive in a positive way, uh -huh. um, there's a young man, Christian Amoa. Uh, okay. He is from Ghana. Yeah. He's going to come train in the USA for four months. Right. Uh, what do you think about this? Well, here we have this guy, uh, Kyle Pierce, is, the, is, the, is from the uh, United States. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana. He's got a tremendous program going there. He's uh, Kendrick Ferris's coach. And he's mm -hmm. just been doing a tremendous job. He goes to Ghana, and coach, he's kind of the Ghana national coach. So by bringing this lifter to the United States, and I, I, did it say where he's going to go in the United States? Yeah, he's going to his training center. I think it's at a university. Right, right. It's a Louisiana, Louisiana State University at Shreveport. And so then he's going to start training there with Kyle yeah. and full-time. And so I don't know the living situation in Ghana, so I don't know if just the fact that he's going to be getting better food 
and will be able to train full-time while he maybe gets, uh, goes to school. Uh, those factors alone would help someone get better if they have some uh, ability and talent. So I'm sure this kid will do very well, but uh, how, you know, how, how far along he goes, only time will tell. But yeah, so, so you know, exchanges of uh, you know, lifters going to different countries and training is always good. Now, when our lifters, we've had kids, uh, you know, go to Bulgaria and go to Poland and Russia and train, and uh, it's a great experience, but see, you know, the thing they have to realize is, well, if you go over there, then you got to do the drugs to get the, good, nah. get, the, to get the benefits of the Polish, Bulgarian, and Russian system because they're all based on using drugs. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought about that as well when I was thinking about athletes going training in different places. Um, I, that, what I was thinking is, like, this could be a chance to make a network, uh, maybe countries the USA could work with. I mean, when you have a talented athlete come into your gym, doesn't matter where he's from, right. you're going to imitate or you're going to find things in the technique or maybe in his way of going about his lifting, uh, maybe in diet, who knows? Right. And that improves and people learn and that spreads. I think this is one way to combat the positives and the doping. Well, it, it, it was definitely good if provided everybody's training clean. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm and saying back, that. Yeah, back yeah. in the, in this, 60s and 70s and even into the 80s when our athletes would go internationally that's where they would learn how to use the drugs because they have these little you know private sessions exchanges of when everybody knew, everybody was, knew that the bulgarians and the russians and the poles uh were using drugs and so they would uh, the the exchange of information was how to use drugs in those days but okay, but when do you don't you think that entered American sport uh, completely aside from the sport of weightlifting, like American football? Well, I don't. You know, it's, it's uh, uh, from what I've read, it, it was uh, weightlifting and bodybuilding where where the drug really first, is the primary. Yeah, first kind of started taking off, and when people saw the results of that, they they found they that. Filtered over into other sports, all the sports, every sport, every sport that requires maximum effort, and therefore you need recuperation because that's what the drugs do. Is they help you? They're called restoratives. They restore you, you know, so that you hmm. fresh and can train hard and compete hard. <clears throat> but so yeah, so I mean, definitely, if, if we could have exchange uh, programs, that would definitely uh, help uh, the athletes. I mean, look at the what uh, Paul Coffa has done in the. Uh, South Pacific with uh, training centers first in Nauru and now in, and then in Fiji and I'm not sure exactly where he is right now but he brings in all you know goes around and brings in the, the top lifters from the South Pacific Islands and he's gotten some great lifters out of out of the medalists at the world championship level and I and I feel pretty confident that Paul Coffa runs a, a clean program so that these kids are are training clean and competing clean. Yeah, because I mean you're just bringing in. Uh I mean, let's let's face it. You know, there are differences yeah. in the way that we eat, the way that we train. We're raised by nation or culture, and so when you start mixing that up, I, I think you're just sharing yeah, more you information. At, you can look at basketball and baseball. How <coughs> they? Yeah, yeah, perfect basketball. example. Basketball is probably a better example of being. It's probably the most international 
sport now. I mean, not, you know, baseball is just a few countries, and of course, football, no, not at all. But uh, I think basketball is probably the, the one uh, sport, team sport that has grown internationally that originated in San Francisco. I mean, originated in the United States, not San Francisco, originated in the United States. <laughs> uh, no, no, give a shout out to San yeah, Francisco. Well, San Fr- everything, everything originated in San Francisco. Well, yes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, um, so, so it's, it's definitely good, but it's expensive. Who's going to pay for it? See, basketball can get sponsorship by apparel companies and professional teams will uh, develop programs and, like, say, uh, um, the former uh, Yugoslavia countries. Uh, they're, they're a great resource for basketball players there, and so the NBA goes in and will invest money in, in programs over there to develop basketball players. Uh, yeah, yeah, so that, exactly right. Yeah. That's but yeah, it, it, international competition, international uh, training camps are wonderful. I've uh, experienced a few, um, you know, many, and uh, it's it's just you're, everybody will perform better because it's just you're in a, a good environment. And uh, I wish it could be done, uh, uh, you know, uh, more more often. But it's it's difficult because of finances. And then you know, anybody that goes to the Soviet uh, or the uh, Russia, Bulgaria, Azerbaijan, or now China, they, they you know they get misrepresented because if they try to do that program clean, it doesn't work. See. Yeah, yeah. And then we could go back to our first topic, like you know maybe they can't get visas to come visit America yeah, and train yeah, right, or. Right. But let's look at a positive story. Uh, Indonesia, the government, oh, yeah. we talk about where can we find funding. Yeah. Why don't we just take 1% of the defense budget and commit it to weightlifting? Well, you got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Indonesian government bought uh, two of its weightlifting athletes' uh, houses. Well, Th- Thailand has done the same thing, has rewarded their Olympic medalists uh, financially and with, you know, with cars and houses and and some of these countries, if you win an Olympic medal, you get a, you're set up on a pension for life at when you hit a certain age. So yeah. the financial reward is and is, is is you know I learned a long time ago that the greatest motivator is money. And yeah. Yeah. so you start waving dollars in front of people, and boy, they'll they'll do a lot of things. And we're doing that now in the United States. We're uh, uh, giving our athletes a lot of opportunities to raise funds. I mean, to to, to get funded if they lift enough weight. And uh, so, you know, that, that's real good. Uh, we're, I'm glad to see that happening. And I, I don't know how much individual athletes are getting, but Sarah Robles, because she got a bronze medal, she should be getting probably a couple of thousand dollars a month or maybe more, I don't know. And then C.J. Cummings, he should be getting a few thousand dollars a month as well because of his performances. So we're doing that in the United States now. Okay, but we still have, we have that catch-22 in that you can't get the money till you get good. But if you don't get, you know, but if you can't train hard to get good, uh, you don't get, you know, it's a, it's, you can't get the money. So we have someone has to have a some natural ability and some good fortune to be able to get the opportunity to train hard and often to get good enough to get the the, the, the financial rewards. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, uh, Kyle Pierce there yeah. in Louisiana, I, I think that's an avenue. For weightlifting, maybe to wake up to is, you know, American football players. If they can power clean, like you were saying at that local meet, you had just a separate competition for the football players. If they can snatch, if they can power clean, they're better football players. Right, they're better. Right. So if you can get those. 
big programs that take a lot of TV money and get them interested in weightlifting. So they give you money in your strength and conditioning program. And you're able to use that funding to bring athletes or, you know, yeah. I, I, that's one avenue yeah. that makes sense. And so, you know, actually, you know, you should probably contact Kyle Pierce and, and figure out how he's done it because he's got a great program going there at uh, Shreveport. And, uh, you know, I'd be interested to find out how he's able to arrange the financing, uh, whether the, the school gives a, a scholarship to this athlete and gets a room and board. Right? You know, how does he, how does a, this athlete, uh, Okay, there's a training facility. That's nice, but he's got to have a place to eat and sleep and and probably go to school. And so, how does that get covered? And of course, you know, the International Olympic Committee has a solidarity program where they grant funds for various programs. And so, maybe that's where it comes from too. There's a the International Olympic Committee solidarity program where they fund, uh, you know, some of these third world underdeveloped countries, they fund various sports programs and various athletes, not just, you know, all, all sports that are involved in the Olympics. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll try and get them on for an interview. Yeah, you should reach out to uh, peers. Yeah, I, I definitely will. I've, I've actually got a few people lined up for just different kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, now I, I want to get to the topic of gym culture. Uh, oh, back and I'm not talking about yeah. Jim Schmidt's culture. Right, right, I'm right. talking about right. <laughs> yes. uh, aptly named. Uh, so you got in the business, uh, what year was it? 1968. Okay, okay I was going to say 69, 68. Yeah, okay. 60, April of 68. But I, I joined this Alex's gym in 1964, and there was a gym culture there of guys wanting to be really strong. And these were, this is this was the 60s, so the guys were racist and sexist and, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, pretty hardcore, uh, rough and ready, tough guys, you know. And of course, I... Uh, Wanted to be big, strong, tough, and rough, and so that, I liked I liked that environment. And uh, of course, I wasn't you know at that time I I hadn't experienced racism or sexism or all that stuff you know. And I was kind of like, wow, what is all this about? But uh, anyway, I learned it, it was a good culture for training and competing. And in those days, it was powerlifting, bodybuilding, weighting, weight, you know, just you did it all. And wrestling it was a it was good. It was a real manly, masculine. Uh, culture and uh, you know on Saturdays we'd work out all afternoon then we'd go off our pizza and beer and talk about training and lie about our sex life you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it sounds like nothing's changed yeah. <laughs> so, no, so so that I, uh, so that was a culture where you know I mean three or four days a week I would go to the gym and besides training you had friends and you bullshit and you told dirty jokes and you Made you know laughed at you know made comments about politics and all kinds of crazy things, and uh, so I've always been you know my gym. Uh, now did did you work out of my gym when I was on the eight twenty eight Valencia? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that see that that was a special place for many many years. But it was, and of course I, I I I hope that it wasn't racist or sexist. You know I mean I wasn't one of them. That's not I like I don't think that's me. But because uh, yeah, I no I, I, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, I had all. All you know, types of people going through there. My 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 feeling was, if you can pay your gym dues and work out real hard, that's all that's necessary. You know, I don't care what your political views or sexual preferences or what are, and uh, you know, don't don't wear that stuff on your sleeve. Just come in here and you know, build yourself up and have a good time. And so, the gym culture was a good place to meet people and and uh, work out and have a good work. You know, just a good time. And and 
So I, you know, I, I learned that from Alex's gym, and then I tried to perpetuate it, still perpetuate it, where people like to go to the gym, and they know they're not going to be a champion weightlifter, but it's a good place to hang out, and you work out, and you make friendships, and and you know, couples get together and get married and divorced and all kinds of stuff. You know, it's really <laughs> an interesting situation. I have a lot of couples training these days, you know, because the women, yeah, and well, even though these women are not going to be champion weightlifters, or they may not even compete, they like working out in the gym with their boyfriend. And the same, I have, I have uh, boyfriends who can't compete, can't lift as much as their girlfriend. You know, <laughs> it works both ways. I have a few situations where the the girl, the woman is the better lifter, and uh, but it's a, nice, nice. It's, so the culture is it's a place where people like to be, and they like to train. They like the feeling of you know I I, I just keep shaking my head in awe because I've known this for years that it feels good to be strong. It feels good to lift heavy things, and as I get older, I'm you know not able to lift as heavy of things anymore, and it's kind of disappointing. But that's you know, that you can't can't cheat the calendar. But uh, yeah, so it's a very healthy environment, and and being strong and fit is uh, is a quality that people like, and of all and and of all all levels of strength and fitness. So like I say, I have a lot of people. I have some people that I wonder why they're doing it because they're terrible and they're uncoordinated, but they keep coming back and working out. You know, <laughs> you know that's why I tell people they all start out shitty, and then I'll, and then they get up to lousy. And then they get up to not not bad, and then they're not good, and then they, and, and, and now they're sucking with big weights. <laughs> Wait a minute, where was I on the scale? <laughs> well, you got up to lousy. <laughs> uh, good for you. Um, but you're probably now uh, bad. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. I will take. It's not that, good, yeah. but not bad. <laughs> not that bad. I like that. Yeah. Um. But okay, when was the first, like when you were younger, did you see a lot of muscle mags? I mean, oh, like yeah. now we just get inundated with men's yeah. fitness, beauty first, magazines. First, I guess I want to, you know, I like to say, you know, Jack LaLanne. I saw him on TV and he was fit and he was muscular and, and, I, and I wanted to be fit and muscular. Because I, was, oh, I was interested in playing sports and being better at sports and I noticed that the kids that were the best athletes had the best bodies and they, they were just natural. And so I thought, well, I'm going to build my body up so I'll be better at sports. And so there was Jack Mullane on TV showing you how to do your push-ups and your toe touches and all those different, you know, uh, calisthenic-type exercises. So I started there, and then I wanted to, you know, get weights because I've got a muscle magazine. So I was like, i got to lift weights and build my body up. But my folks thought, no, you're too young. So I had to, you know, they finally let me buy my weights and start when I was just, just about to turn 15. I was 14 in 10 months. And they said, okay, now. And so then... I, I just started, you know, working out with the weights, and 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 I liked it, and uh, and of course I was getting stronger, and I was getting muscles, and I, you know, I wake up every, like I tell people, I mean, in, th in those days I wake up every morning, and, hey, I got a new muscle. Now I wake up in the morning, and say, hey, where'd that muscle go? <laughs> and uh, so it's, uh, uh, I just I just liked it, and it felt good, and then then I had a lot of uh, success in sports. I was good at all the sports. Not I wasn't a super, you know, Division One at level athlete, but I was. Division two and could have played, you know, baseball as well as football, but I chose football, and it was all because of my weightlifting. Uh, and in those days, I did a combination bodybuilding, powerlifting, weightlifting. I get the magazines, I'd see a new exercise, and I'd try it. You know, let's see what this one is. And so, I see 
all these people doing these crazy things, you know, with chains and rubber bands. And, and, I, and I get it because I tried all that stuff, too. And that's why I keep coming back to snatch, clean and jerk, squat and pulls because that, that covers everything. But, uh, but now other people have got, have got the message. And, you know, and I was you know, training people for years and, and just you know, onesies and twosies. And now, like Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, gosh, I'm, that's, 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 I've got four platforms going, you know, three people on a platform. And it's, they're training hard and having fun. Nice, nice. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, what are your three biggest pet peeves in the gym? Well, now, I, you know, this is because of my next article for Milo's about gym management. Number one is when a kid comes in and starts dropping the weights, we're like, whoa, 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 we don't drop weights, especially, you know, you know if it's a 40 kilo, if you're someone that snatches 100 kilos, you don't drop 40 kilos or even 60 kilos. You know, you, you let you set the light weights down, you don't drop them at all. So dropping the weights uh, and not having respect for the equipment is number one. And then I guess uh, the other pet peeve I have is trying to get people, when I finally get someone on a program, to take a light week. I have some people that, no, I don't want to train, I don't want to train light. No, you got to take a light week. You'll, you'll, you'll thank me later. And so I have, to, I have to always let them find out themselves. They don't believe me that you need uh, a light week at least once every six weeks or once every four weeks. You know, once every four weeks is good, but definitely once every six weeks you need a very light week so that the body can, you know, kind of we call it a restore week. Uh, or they yeah, call it yeah. a, a downloading week or something like that. But you have to have some light workouts. And so some of these people, they don't want to train light. They just want to go as hard as they can. And eventually, you know, they, they're they always sore and beat up. And then they'll have to take some time off. And so so I, so I that that's a, one of my pet peeves. And another one of my uh, pet peeves is I want you to write down every workout. You know, I've got to, I'm too busy. I can't write your workouts down. I'm not a secretary. I'm coaching here. And so I'm, I want you to write down every workout every set every rep and uh, okay. I, I ask you well, what did you do on tuesday last thursday or you know you can tell me right away i don't want you to have to you know roll your eyes back and try to remember so i guess the, the top three would be dropping weights and treating the equipment with respect number one uh training hard as you can but taking light weeks light workouts and then uh, number three is keeping a, a very detailed accurate workout log book training book Yes, very good, very good. And I, I think that's something in future I want to talk about, the logging of someone's uh, weightlifting career. Yeah, yeah. I've got, uh, I, uh-huh. I've, I've got all the workouts of Giselle Shepparton and Rachel Silverman and Ken Clark and Mario Martinez. You know, wow. Because in those days, I only had a few lifters, so I could write down, I'd write their work. In the daytime, I would write their workouts out. And then they would come in and be all set. But now I have so many people, I can't write down the workouts. I have to, you know, uh, they, have, they have to do that. So I've, I've given them that responsibility. And, of course, then they keep the workout book. But I've, in, in those days, and if somebody gets, if I get somebody up to an international Olympic level, I'll, I'll then also keep a detailed workout uh, log on them. But for, for the casual lifters, the, you know, the, the local lifters, they've got to do that. So, uh, did you put all that stuff in a database, or is it no, still paper? No, I'm, I'm, you know, and there's, you know, you got a program out there. And I got other people's program. You know, I just, I just can't do that. Uh, okay, you know, okay, I, I got you. I'm, I'm not computer uh, uh, programming. You know, I got people like, I got this guy that gave me a great computer program, but it seems like I'm spending more time on the program than you know telling somebody to just go lift that weight. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. I'm just thinking for posterity. Yeah. No. Right. And, and it's just. 
you know, if you see that movie, the old Rocky movie, or the, no, there was the latest Rocky movie called Creed. Uh-huh, yeah, that? I did see it. Huh? Yeah, well, I saw the Creed, uh, the first reboot with Creed. Well, there was the most recent one where this kid is Creed's son, and he's uh-huh. training him, and then Rocky writes out the workout on a piece of paper, and the kid goes to put it on his cell phone, and Rocky goes, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I have people who do their programs on their cell phone and, and so forth. And and the thing is, when I ask them now, what did you do three Thursdays ago, or what was your best for a double? Hell, they spend more. You know, to me, if you have a notebook, it's easier just to flip through the pages. Boom, there it is. You know, Wednesday, August third, I did this. You know, but when they go to their their cell phone to, or or their iPad, to, we'll see what they did three weeks ago. It seems like it takes too long to get there. I, now that's just my experience. I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's just. You know, because I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know what I don't know what they're doing, how they're recording their programs. It's difficult to go digital. Yeah, so I, um, I, I do. But I, I think it's good to save things in a digital way nowadays. Well, yeah. Well, now what I do, and I have I have some uh, email programs, and I just type up the program, and uh, then adjust it. And each each week, I'll they get it. They get their either a new program or a modified program, and uh-huh. uh, but it's just typed out, and then I'll. Uh, you know, I just can, it's easy enough to make changes to it, but these, I charge a little extra for that, you know, and because that's, it takes a little more of my time. But I, sure, I, sure. I have definitely. people that they, they do, uh, you know, the mail order uh, or the email programs. And, and then, of course, I have them, they say, you got to come and see me once in a while so I can see how you're doing because I like to see. I don't, I don't like, I don't like watching videos because I don't know, did you miss three before that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I, I don't, yeah. Uh, you got to see the lifters. It's still, uh, it can't be distance completely. Yeah. yeah, right. I have to see it once in a while. And of course, you know, again, this is because, you know, when you learn a certain way, like everybody's, you know, taking uh, videos of, uh, you know, um, of their, of their, of a lot of lifts. Well, I don't like people to do that too much because I want you to have a feel for the weight, not to, you know, take a, uh, do a lift and go look at it. You know, I want you to feel it. Know what it feels yeah. like. And again, this is, again, I'm, you know, I realize I'm 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 uh, old school in this in this area. But when you walk out into a competition, you know you've got to know what you got to do, and you can't be relying on your cell phone to tell you what to do. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the paralysis by analysis. Right. You could right. sit and look at a video and be like, "Oh, my elbow." Yeah. yeah. And it, it's really has nothing to do with it. You got to lift the weight, right. feel it, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I say determination trumps technique um you know that's mm-hmm. better technique is good but if you're in, if you're always thinking about technique and not determined you're not gonna lift big weights you've got to be determined to lift that big weight and i also say there's no pill for determination you've got to be motivated and determined to, to lift that weight <coughs> excuse me and do you think that ultimately is it's in the lifter's mind or the coach's ability to get the lifter determined uh it's the lifter you know, I, I like this great saying, like, you know, this uh, horse, uh, California Chrome, that won the Kentucky Derby last year. Uh, I have no idea, well, but go ahead. Everybody knows that's the horse that won the Kentucky Derby. You know who the, jo- <laughs> you know who the jockey was? I have nobody, no idea. Nobody knows who the jockey was. <laughs> so the, the, the point is, if you don't have a good horse, you can't win the race. It doesn't matter. Ah, so, gotcha. So, uh, it's, it's really, you know, the horse gets the credit because it is, it is the horse. Naturally, you can't have a bum for a jockey, but... It's, uh, you know, a great jockey can't make uh, a plow horse a uh, Kentucky Derby champion. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, true. Uh, but a great horse can make a, a plow boy a, a 
champion jockey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So so you know, and so as coaching lots of people who don't have talent, you know, you don't want to discourage them. But I do get some people. Well, here's Jim Schmitz, the Olympic coach. He can help me get to this really high level. Well, I can help them be as good as maybe they can be. But guess what? That's not a high level. And see, I found that I was I was athletically capable of doing snatches and clean and jerks, because in those days the coaching technique was pull the bar as hard and as high as you can. It wasn't back flat, arm straight, keep it close. It was just son, just grip it and rip it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and one guy used to say, "You pull that bar as high as you can, and then you beat it to the floor." <laughs> That's a good definition of weightlifting. <laughs> And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we didn't know about flat back, uh, arms, keep the bar close. You know, we just, know the, we didn't, didn't even know about the hook grip. You know, I, I learned about the mm. hook grip around 1968, you know. Mm, okay. Uh, well, Jim, let's uh, wind it up okay. then. 